I initially thought of speaking down from below because it uh, might be a smaller crowd, but of course, who wouldn't want to speak in this chapel? Being Pentecostal, you know, we just find an old warehouse and put up a sign, <laughs> and off we go. It's a delight for me to be here with you. I'm, as uh, Joan has said, I'm a Winnipegger, grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Just to give you a little bit of my background very quickly, I grew up, cut my teeth on a Pentecostal pew. It's all I knew. I knew we were right. I knew everybody else was wrong, especially the Catholics. I went to a small Canadian Pentecostal seminary in Saskatoon, did some studies also at the University of Winnipeg, found my way to a non-denominational seminary in the Pentecostal tradition, And then eventually, much to the chagrin of some of my Pentecostal friends, went off to study at a Jesuit university for my uh, PhD. Now, I think Pentecostals have come a long way over the years, and uh, I'm very proud to remain Pentecostal, but uh, I hope I'm uh, able to live more and more the ecumenical life. And that's what makes me so thrilled to be at a school like this at Tyndall, a school that truly embraces all the the wonders and the beauties, the best of all the traditions that God uh, is able to use Uh, in our churches today. This morning, my topic is, uh, I'm going to refer to it as musings on prayer. And the ideas for this go back many years, but the motivation to share it today stems from some very recent pain in my life. On January the 6th of this year, I sent my mother uh, home from Springfield, Missouri, back to Winnipeg, where she and my entire family live. And uh, she uh, got on the plane in the morning, in the mid-afternoon, early evening, pardon me, early evening, before she had arrived in Winnipeg, I got news from my brothers that one of my brothers, Andy, were four boys. Andy is my uh, second brother. He's 49 years old, and he had died suddenly of a heart attack. And so my mother gets off the plane, is greeted by one of her sons, and is given the news of the loss of her son. And so that pain has been um, ever-present, as some of you who've experienced the loss of a loved one uh, would be able to understand. In recent weeks, a very dear friend of mine, some of you know his name, Michael Wilkinson. Michael has taught here at, at Tyndall. He is a Pentecostal sociologist at Trinity Western University. Michael suddenly lost his 18-year-old son, came in in the morning wanting to wake Alex up, and Alex had, had died. And so it was right around that time that Joan had contacted me and asked if I would be willing to speak. And in many ways, I'm, I just don't feel comfortable to speak these days uh, from a pulpit. The pain, the agony is, uh, is still very, very real. But at that point, I also feel like it's a, a wonderful opportunity to share because I think this is where we find our lives uh, very often. So that's kind of the setting, the background. I've, read, I've produced a manuscript this morning so that I stay on track and because of the emotional nature of what I'm going to share. So now I'm not going to be very Pentecostal. I'll turn Anglican. So here we go. I'm a theologian and a biblical scholar, and at least in my own eyes. I'm an expert, right? I teach courses on spiritual formation, Pentecostal history and theology, New Testament theology, special interest in Gospels and Acts, 
In these courses, I teach that prayer is a foundational discipline. I stress Pentecostal emphasis upon prayer and intimacy with God. I underscore how Jesus and his first followers practiced prayer, they taught about prayer, and they expected us to follow suit. But I have a confession to make. When it comes to prayer, I remain a novice. I'm not very good. It's been a lifelong struggle. And in sharing this confession, I'm not looking for pity. I'm happy to report that I've long given up on Pentecostal guilt. I don't hear any laughter. So for those not familiar with Pentecostal guilt, this is a misguided element of Pentecostal spirituality where for every moment where we perform or not perform, we feel this salvific or apocalyptic pressure. And I've long given that up. I genuinely want to draw close to God. I want to know God. I want to hear God's voice. I crave God's wisdom and guidance. And if I might say so, I think I'm growing in prayer, at least in my own eyes. What follows is my encounter with God through two forms of prayer over extended seasons of anxiety, pain, and doubt. And I continue to employ both forms at various times. And so wherever you may be on the spectrum of prayer, I believe that my journey will echo yours, and I hope that my stories will prove helpful for your path. The first example I begin with. On October the 2nd, 2006, Charles Roberts marched into an Amish schoolhouse in West Nichols Mines, Pennsylvania, and shot eight of ten young girls, killing five of them before he took his own life. How many remember that story? In the days that followed, the, the response of the Amish community launched a national and global media frenzy. Reports of forgiveness and acts of re reconciliation by the Amish baffled the reporters, baffled readers and listeners. Amish families attended the funeral of the killer and believed that the grief of the killer's widow and two young children compelled them to participate in collective suffering. Amish families supported Robert's family in many ways, including setting up a scholarship fund for the children. And this is very important to note because the Amish complete their education at grade 8 and do not go any further. As these and other acts of kindness continued, various media groups suggested that the Amish response came as a result of their state of shock and denial on account of inferior grief management skills. Even though, I might add, that numerous Amish families accepted professional grief counseling. As I reflected upon the ability of the Amish to offer such a forgiving and caring response, I remembered the blunt reaction of an Amish business owner to a reporter who could not come to grips with the capacity for an Amish individual to forgive this killer. When the conversation turned to Amish emphasis upon the Lord's Prayer, the business owner stated, we don't think we can improve on Jesus' prayer. Why would we need to? We think it's a pretty good, well-rounded prayer. It has all the key points in it. The Amish man reminded the reporter of Jesus' teaching on prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So why would the Amish forgive such a brutal killer? because Jesus commands us to do so. 
In fairness, the reporter did not realize that the Amish practice on prayer includes daily reciting of the Lord's Prayer, and that is included in every service, sometimes more than once. The Amish, unlike Pentecostals and many other traditions, choose not to employ spontaneous prayers. For the Amish, such spontaneity may lead to hochmut, or pride, and thereby diminish the pursuit of a cardinal Amish, and I would argue a cardinal Christian virtue, namely damut, humility. Concerning Amish commitment to the literal recitation of Jesus' teaching on prayer and the reluctance to employ spontaneity, the headline might read something like, Why Should Anyone Attempt to Improve on Jesus' Answer on How to Pray? If you'd like to read a little more on the Amish response and some of their practices, I encourage you to check out a book. It was really a life-changing work for me uh, by three individuals named Crable, Nolt, and Weaver Zerker called Amish Grace, and it was the response that took place out of the, uh, the shooting in 2006. I read this story at a low point in my prayer life. I felt lost. I was perpetually lost for words. As I reflected on the Amish concept that you can't improve on Jesus' prayer, it just made sense. So on New Year's Day in 2009, I resolved to pray only the Lord's Prayer for one year. I told no one outside of my immediate family. Early on, my wife and children wondered about my sanity, though they eventually came to understand and occasionally would share in my practice. In public and ecclesial settings, I would continue to offer spontaneous prayers so as not to bring attention to this practice. Though many rooms could be filled with books on the comprehensive nature of Jesus' prayer, I found comfort in the simple and yet profound words of Jesus. When someone requested prayer for healing, I would pray, Thy kingdom come. When I heard of financial need, I would pray, Give him his daily bread. When I was confronted with stories of personal failure, I would pray, deliver her from the evil one, and so on. I meant these prayers. I found them assuring. These prayers also relieved the growing dissatisfaction with my inability to find the appropriate theological and emotional responses before and even during my prayers. Form 2. Fast forward to the summer of 2014 and another trying season in my life. A number of dear friends were experiencing terrible grief and pain. I shared in their grief and once again I struggled for words. In the span of a few months, an extended family member drowns. A dear colleague loses his wife to a sudden heart attack. A dear friend with a clean medical history receives news of stage four prostate cancer. I feel exhaustion as I watch the news, acts of terror around the world, a sudden onslaught of murderous acts in my typically safe and quiet Midwest city, stirred questions not unlike those that we find in the Psalms. My workplace was in a transitional season, anxiety and fear of job loss, institutional instability, and my concern for fallout made life not a little bit stressful. Finally, the dangerous F word, family. I watched my children transition from their late teens to young adulthood. Ever the parent, 
I'm sure I worried more about their futures than they did. But the cumulative effect of these events produced yet another season for fresh encounter with God. But once again, I had no words. In this second major encounter in my prayer journey, I found myself on the opposite end of a prayer spectrum from Jesus' teaching on prayer. I struggled to bring rational prayers to God. How do I pray for the situations which I've described? I experienced the ongoing curse of a theologian. I wondered if my prayers were theologically sound. I was unable to articulate my pain. I didn't know how to pray. I dreaded public prayer. I could only sigh. A recurring response to daily news became a deep sigh. And it was around this time that I reread an essay that I assigned to my students. I paused over the story, the author tells the story, I paused over the story of a shoemaker who questions his rabbi on prayer. The shoemaker would often work through the night in order to repair the shattered, the tattered shoes of his clients, many of whom had only one pair and needed them for work the following day. The shoemaker would on occasion raise his hammer and only sigh as he worked through the night and into the morning and ultimately through morning prayers. In exhaustion and frustration, the devout shoemaker, would appro- he approaches his rabbi with this question, Rabbi, Should I be allowed to miss the occasional morning prayer for the sake of my customers? Perhaps, responds the rabbi, that sigh is more important than the prayer itself. May it be that sighs represent performative prayers. Is it necessary that prayer be understood only as a rational articulated conversation with God. I'm a Pentecostal. Pause. Don't Pentecostals and many other Christians practice activities, not the least of these being tongues that transcend verbal communication? Given the historic affirmation of the church to encounter God through poetry, song, dance, tears, and silence, why not sighing prayers? The French philosopher and theologian Jacques Ellul remarks that prayer is a striving with the one who is unknowable, beyond our grasp, unapproachable and inexpressible, asking that he be here and now the one he promised to be. May it be that such a prayer is akin to Paul's encouragement when we do not know what we ought to pray, for the Spirit intercedes for us with groans, with sighs too deep for words. Through my sighs, I experienced the presence of God, this time not through the literal words of Jesus, but through groans too deep for words. Sighs of frustration, lament, and pain, and anxiety became symbolic. May I even say almost sacramental for God's presence. When I could go no further, when news became overwhelming, when I had no answers, sighs, sighs became my prayer. And though the tough questions 
didn't typically receive immediate answers, though the horrific stories of violence and pain and grief and anxiety continued. God was there. No, God is always there. God is present. I continue to employ both kinds of prayer, go back and forth. I'm not in a particular season right now, but the occurrence of the last few events have just made this very real and put me at a place again where words are very difficult to find when it comes to seeking God on the difficulties of everyday life. So I'd like to conclude this morning by having us employ both forms of prayer. Would you do that with me? I'd like to begin with the former pattern first. I'm going to turn to the poetry of a dear friend who in the spirit of a wise rabbi that I've cited above, I turn to the words of Father Killian McDonald. He is a world-renowned Catholic scholar, ecumenist. He's a leading proponent of the charismatic renewal, and in his later years, he has become a poet. So I share his words, indeed his lack of words, with you. I believe it's on the screen behind you. The poem is called, After All the Words. And upon reading this poem, I'm going to pause, I'm going to allow you a couple minutes. Would you just offer your sighs to God? Wherever you find yourself today, would you offer your prayer to God? Allow Killian McDonald's words to encourage us. After I've emptied out my store of words, depleted all usable sounds in praising God's unsayable glory, wasted the Oxford Dictionary, pauperized the Coptic lexicon, have no breath between my teeth, wordless beauty, I give back to God. Would you stand with me? And finally, let us follow the words of the master teacher and let us pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Go in peace.